sisters, listen closely. Finding out he's the one can sometimes feel like traveling through a desert of uncertainty. I mean, every time you feel like you've reached an oasis, it ends up being a mirage. As your resident sister and friend, here are five common red flags that you need to steer clear away from. First up, if he's asking for your phone number straight off the bat, but not your dad's, well, that's a major red flag waving in your face. Next, if he's hitting you up with texts and calls late at night, you better believe he's not serious and chances are he won't respect your boundaries. Watch out for those put down disguised as sarcastic banters. You know, the ones that make you the butt of the joke. It's time to show him the door. And oh, if he's more interested in hearing himself talk than listening to what you have to say, girl, that's a sign you need to run in the opposite direction. And let's not forget the classic line, my ex was crazy. Yeah, right. If he's mouth-mouthing his ex left and right, chances are he's the one with the issues. And those are just the obvious red flags. Let's help you uncover what's really hiding underneath the surface with Vibe Check, the ultimate prompt card game for meaningful connections. Crafted with deep respect for Islamic traditions, Vitech goes beyond the surface, allowing you to discover the essence of your potential life partner's faith, character, and aspirations. With eight thoughtfully crafted categories and 135 thought-provoking questions, Vitech ensures a comprehensive understanding of your potential spouse, from values and ambitions to personal quirks and preferences. I mean, skip the surface-level discussions and dive straight into what truly matters. Visit our website, www.thedigitalstory.com now and take the first step towards finding your righteous partner. Your journey to marital bliss begins here. Content warning, this episode speaks about suicide. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. It is your sister and friend, Adar, and you're listening to the Digital Sisterhood Podcast. Man, have I missed being on the microphone, okay? Listen, you guys, I have been sick, right? Which feels like been a month. I've been sick. I feel like I've been sick for a month. But as you guys know, I've been on tour all summer long. And when I finally got back... It's like my body said to me, yeah, that's enough. <laughs> that is enough. You've done too much. It's time for us to pay. you. It's time for you to pay back. And so I instantly became sick. And then the sickness kept continuing. And before I knew it, I was sick for three weeks. And I was like, what is going on? But I think I was just paying a debt that I owed to my body. Um, and alhamdulillah, I'm feeling much better much better and I've missed all of you so much and I just want to personally say to everyone that reached out to me to personally check on my well-being oh my god I love you <laughs> thank you so much for checking on me and I, I just want to tell you guys I appreciate you all and I love that I love that we have this kind of community and you guys are checking on your good sis um I felt the love so jazakallah khair um for that may Allah want to check on y'all just the way y'all check on me <laughs> I mean so you already know, you guys, I miss telling you guys stories. You know, I, I miss telling you guys a story. And this week, man, do I have a story for you. Now, 
before I tell you the story, I just want to preface to tell y'all that I met this guest. Her name is Amal. I actually met her. I wouldn't say I met her physically until much, much later, but I met her or I saw her on Facebook. Um, there was this video that was going really viral back in, I think, 2017. Um, and she was this really pretty girl who was very well-spoken and could tell a really, like, whole, like a really engaging story. And the story that she told, man, did it break my heart. It broke my heart. And I think it broke a lot of people's heart. And it was extremely brave of her to tell that story the way that she did. And I always said to myself, like, you know, I would love to meet her. I even followed her on Facebook. I kept up with her statuses. She would write these really incredible statuses about the things that she's experienced and what she knows. And I was always so touched by them. And so um, earlier this year, uh, when we were thinking about the guests we were going to tell this season, I always had her in the back of my head. I was like, I'm going to get a mall story. I need to get a mall story. This story needs to live on. What she has to say, what she's learned needs to be heard um, because it was that powerful. And so I just personally want to tell Amal, if she's listening, I know she's listening. Thank you so much for telling that story. I know it wasn't easy. I know it wasn't easy. And I know it wasn't easy back then. And I know it wasn't easy that, that day on that night at the studio. But I just want to tell you how appreciative I am um, and how brave I think you are and how blessed I think your family is. And so without further ado, this is a mall story. One more thing before I go. This is a very heavy episode. Even when Mun and I recorded this episode, I went home staring at the ceiling. I'm not even joking. It was a very hard episode to listen to. And so I really encourage y'all not to be operating heavy machinery when listening to this episode one. Number two, um, maybe sit down. <laughs> Number three, maybe listen to this episode with a community, with a friend. So that way you can kind of, you know, sh share your reflections. And you're not doing it alone, you know. And I'm not, you know, like exaggerating. I just, it's a very heavy episode and you don't know how it'll impact you. So please take care of yourself. And yeah, this is a mall story. Amal was a Somali girl born and raised in Abu Dhabi, where she lived a very lavish lifestyle. I mean, as you know, Abu Dhabi is that city, right? High rises and the biggest mall in the world. She also was surrounded by family and just overall just lived a very content life. I mean, she, you know, grew up here in the Yaivan and, you know, Islam was the norm, hijab was the norm, it was prevalent and... You weren't being ridiculed like some of us are being ridiculed in the West. All I just had it easy. Life was easy. We come from a life where you just call the convenience store, whatever you want, and it's right <laughs> up at your doorstep. So my easy. life is lavish. <laughs> when I was there, I thought I was the king. I said, <laughs> you could just order and anything. Anything. And, and it would be at your door in five minutes. It's just a second. Shocking. We went to a private school. So my dad somehow was always preparing us for North America, I think. Mm. He always said, you have to speak English. You guys need to be prepared. Um, my dad was always against, um, you know, getting used to having having maids and um, getting used to people. Like we had a guy who would come and iron our clothes and fold our clothes and put away our clothes. Oh, Lombardic. Laundry was, I have no idea the struggle I have with laundry here. <laughs> I still, I'm still struggling. 21 years later, I'm still struggling with laundry, but that's the life he came from. And my dad was like, no, you need to learn to be independent. Mm. You know, so he always 
kind of enforced sports and try to not make us kind of lazy and like always trying to make us understand the privilege that we had. Mm. You know, he was like, you know, life is not giving to everyone just like it is to you guys. You know, you have to work hard. We're like, why do we need to work hard? Everything is given to us. Like, why do we need to do this? One day you not, might not be here. One day you might need this life skills. Oh, but inshallah, we'll get to that one day. <laughs> Alhamdulillah, my dad prepared us, I feel like, for North America because um, life is completely different here. If you guys remember my episode, The Wallflower, I told you guys a story about my experience going to Dubai, right? I had never in my entire life have ever seen Muslims living in luxury. It was never a thing. I never even thought it, that existed. And it was kind of a culture shock for me, right? It was a massive culture shock. So I can only imagine what it was like for 14-year-old Amal to go from living in Abu Dhabi to Toronto, if I could have had the opportunity back then to whisper in Amal's ear, I would have told her, girl, get ready, because you about to get the craziest rude awakening. Actually, before we got to Toronto, we got to New York. Oh. We stopped at Brooklyn. I love Brooklyn. Uh, yes. Love so uh, we were coming from Abu Dhabi, where it's glass lavish life the musk and f everything other and coming to new york was a shock for us mm-hmm. brown building <laughs> and the, Brook the subway we didn't understand why oh the subway God. looked like that yeah. and we didn't understand life so immediately hoya was like i cannot live here Mm-hmm. I have to move from living in New York. She's like, I can't raise my family here. So then we moved to Toronto. Our move here, oh my God, it was really hard. Um, coming here, my mom was the one who brought us here. As uh, She came with uh, me and my siblings. And at that time, I was her translator. Wow. I was the one who was doing everything at 14 years old, and I didn't mm-hmm. understand anything. Before in Abu Dhabi, I was just a child who was playing around, and a dad and a mom who was making the decision. And then here in Canada, I was the one who was making decisions with my mom. There's times I'm like, I have no idea what's happening. Yeah. But I had to kind of give my mom a comfort, you know? Oh, they want this, and this is what they want. That's why at 14, when we came here, I saw immediately two years later... I was working. I was wow. like, I had to work to also support my family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So normally people at that age in Canada, or some actually, would have worked for themselves. You know, you got a job at the movies so you yeah. could buy popcorn and hang out with your friends. Yeah. But you were working to support your mom. Throughout life, a lot of time where my mom would be like, I'm so sorry. Like, I put a lot of pressure on you. And, and when I look back... I'm always like, you know, no, you didn't. You needed that support. You needed that help. And as your daughter at a young age, I had to step up. Alhamdulillah, I did. I didn't want my mom to feel bad about it. Yeah. Because my mom kind of guarded all my other siblings from everything that she would see and face and go through, but somehow kind of shared it with me because I had to be the one who makes the calls, read the letters, and make the decisions with her. And she kind of understood that this is not Emirat, this is not Abu Dhabi. This is not the life where you just pick up a phone, I need this. We had to extremely work hard. 
We, um, once we actually settled down and everything, I remember our, <laughs> we had to go walk to Food Basics and we were like, what is this grocery store? <laughs> like everything here is so ghetto. <laughs> why are they not delivering food? This is why I love Instacart. You have yeah. no idea. It just reminds me. Why are me they not packing the bags? You know, because you know they pack the bags. Yes. I, that was yeah. what shocked yeah. me when I went. I was like, why are you? They pack everything for you. Yeah. And then they ask you, do you want us to put it in the car for you? Or you can take it from here, you know? Mm-hmm. And then I remember when we did our first groceries and they just, it's like, how many bags? And Hoyo was like, what? And we're like, how many bags do you want? Uh, we're like counting. Uh, 15, 20? And she's like, oh, okay. And then we were waiting for her to put the stuff in the bags, oh, right? Oh, no. <laughs> she just threw the bags right there. And she's like, okay, next. And we're like, what the? What's happening? <laughs> just quietly put your stuff in. We had to. And like just coming in, in a time where they would actually... It's funny, we came just right before September 11. Oh, so life was so hard for Muslims and, and the struggle. And it was just like, that was like very hard for us, right? So that's, that was our welcome to mm-hmm. Toronto. Life takes a turn when Amal gets married and leaves her family to go live with her husband. Although she was only 15 minutes away, Amal saw her marriage kind of like a breakup with her family. Until... She eventually gets pregnant and finds a lot of support from her mother. But when her daughter is around 18 months, her marriage, her marriage comes to an end. And going through divorce at a young age with a daughter who was 18 months mm. was really hard. And my divorce was really a hard divorce. It wasn't an easy divorce. It played a big role in my life and it impacted me so much. And um, my mom... And everyone around me that was close to me. And I remember saying to myself, you know, I I just, I fell apart. Like I fell apart so bad that I remember locking myself in the house. And I didn't share it with my family with what, what I was going through. My mom used to be like, you know, there's something going on with you. You're not calling as much or visiting. Um, I kept it to myself. I didn't even told my sister or my close friends what I was going through. And um, I just remember like just being sad about it. Mm. So immediately when I saw my daughter, I was like, I need to be strong for her. Just like Hoya was strong for us. And just seeing the role she played in our life is immediately what made me feel like I need to get up and pick myself up for the sake of my daughter, for the sake of myself, and for the better life, for better life for my daughter. So I remember I had to move back to the East. Mm. Alhamdulillah, I moved back to the East. Um, I went back to work. And that's when I started picking things up mm. for myself. I told myself, I have to have my own place for my daughter, mm. but close to home, you know, close to my family at the same time where I can play my role as a mother to my daughter and at the same time play my role as a daughter to my mom. When you're with your family and you're, uh, you know, your mom and for me also my sister played a big role. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember she told me, her and my mom, um, they took care of my daughter oh. and they told me go for a vacation. Mm-hmm. It wasn't even a vacation. Uh, it was Sheikh Mohammed Sharif Visionary Chorus. Oh, I know this this chorus. Yes. Apparently it was In, a visionary. <laughs> it, it, 
<laughs> and it was in Calgary, in oh, Bath. Oh, you went all the way there. Oh, wow. It was like a retreat. Isn't it something like a retreat? It was an amazing retreat. And I remember I went with um, these two amazing friends, one of them who paid for my ticket. Oh, and ticket. said, let's go. And my sister was like, I'll take care of Leanne, my daughter, and I'll take, and Hoya was like, we'll be here. And, you know, we had another friend who was in the house. And when I went there, that was the first time going away from my daughter. It was during divorce. It was amazing. Sheikh Mohammed Sharif, what he did, visioning dua and seeing dua come to, like, what you're asking Allah and visualizing that changed my game plans with dua. Literally, we went. We went to Banff. We went to Fairmont Hotel. I'll never forget. Fairmont Hotel. Yes. Abba, what a retreat. <laughs> MashaAllah. Our view was the exact mountain and the view of the lake. And it was just so beautiful. Yeah. And, and for those who don't know what Banff is, is Calgary, please Google it. It looks like a screensaver. A Microsoft screensaver. <laughs> um, if you're going to go and think about life and renew, that's the place to go. <laughs> go there, renew well, everything. But there was nothing better than going there, having a group of people that Sheikh Mohammed Sharif invited and brought and to talk about Allah and to say, what what do you want to ask Allah? Oh, I want Jannah. But what? how are you asking Allah for Jannah? Which level of Jannah are you visualizing? How are you trying to get there? What are you doing now? You know what I mean? And and then sometimes bringing to things like I want to open a business or I want to get out of the situation. He was literally breaking it down a year per year, um, every five years, every 10 years, every two years. And it was like, you have to visualize where you are. If in 10 years you see yourself there, then what are you doing five years from now? What are you doing two years from now? What are you doing today? Wow. And how are you asking Allah for today? SubhanAllah. You can't, he was, I can never forget when he said, if you go to a rich guy and the richest person in the world and they ask you, what, what do you want? You're not going to say, can I have pennies? You know, why are you guys talking to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in such manners? And that's, for me, I remember just crying. Wow. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, nobody knows I'm going through divorce, but yeah. Allah knows. Yeah. So like just crying and connecting with the mountains and seeing the khalq Allah, mm. how huge the mountains are and how small we look right next to it. How the creation of Allah is like, subhanAllah, so beautiful. And if Allah who created this mountains and Allah who created this beautiful view, it's the same Allah that me and you have. You know, sometimes when people have life, they're like, oh, this is my lifestyle and this is what I have, or this is what I this is what I can bring, or whatever they are. But imagine the same Allah that I have is the same Allah you have. It's just our journey is different and how we ask of Allah. It's all different. We can we all have a personal relationship with Allah. And it's just connecting to Allah was just it it just regrouped me again. It took me back to like, okay, I'm ready to go back to Toronto, play that role as a mother, single mother. Okay, let's bring that role. Let's do it. It's like you tied your waist. I got to know all these amazing single mothers. I made a support, amazing support system. Mm -hmm. Um, I was like, I'm going to move. I'm going to work here. And everything I asked Allah for was just other falling into place. Amal had found this newfound confidence and trust to push forward, to pick the pieces and glue her life back together, as what most women are often left to do, 
But thankfully, in the era we live in, Amal understood the importance of taking care of her mental health, which is why she signed up to go to that retreat. However, Amal's mom was also going through something similar. But she didn't have the same outlets to help her like Amal did. Instead, she did what most women in her generation do. She kept silent. There's a Somali proverb that says, which translates to, tie your waist. This phrase, as I used to know it, was used to empower women, to encourage them to take the power back. But this phrase also has been misused. It's kind of turned into a double-edged sword. Now it just means, shut up and deal. Truth is, women at the time weren't encouraged to speak up because that was seen as a sign of weakness. And women? Women weren't allowed to be that. You know, I would say other my mom was going through um, depression and we didn't know about depression mm. much. And she was uh, facing a lot of sadness. And it started, I would notice when I got married, around the time I got married, kind of. And um, we didn't know. But I remember when I left, even when I left to Kogi, I remember my mom should be so happy and excited. But at the same time, there was days she was so sad. And we didn't know why she was so sad. You know, and I know coming here as a newcomer, leaving the lavish life, um, I know she had a culture shock. I know she had no support. I know she had to start from zero with a language she doesn't speak. She was fluent in Arabic. My mom was the type of person who would speak and talk to everyone. If she enters a room, she kind of have your personality. She's so bubbly and open and smiling with everyone. And she would meet anyone, anyone that she meets, immediately they click. You know, she had that personality and that vibe and coming from Middle East and having that vibe and, and that support system and everything to a place where she has no support, can't speak the language. She held a lot in, even when she saw me playing that role at a young age, helping her. She kept a lot in of sadness. And so I noticed during the marriage and when I came back from Banff especially, my mom is, there's days where she gets sad and she tries to, the way she was treating her sadness was going back to Abu Dhabi, kind of visiting, because she used to go back every summer. And she would be like, okay, while we're not, and you guys are all grown, you know, I can go back for two months and come back. And those two months for her was like, I can be in sadness without my kids seeing me. That's how I felt. Wow. I can change the society and maybe maybe it's Toronto that's making me sad. Maybe I need to be with my husband who couldn't come here through immigration process. Maybe maybe I need to take my kids back home to Abu Dhabi. Abu Dhabi was our home, right? And coming here, she came in hopes to, obviously what a lot of Somalis come for, get citizenship a protection of a country where nobody can kick you, and education. And she felt like, I can give my kids this and I've given them. But in that process, she lost herself, raising us alone. So I saw, like, I saw her. I saw, I used to see me and my sister and my siblings would notice 
my mom trying to be sad but kind of hide her sadness and then goes through a wave of depression. And now I know it's depression. At that time, we didn't know. Mm-hmm. So I used to go through every sheikh with her. And read Quran and she'd be like, okay, I have to go read Quran on me and and, and go through the whole process. It was was a very intense process. My role that I said I played at uh, 14 years old came back a lot stronger. Again, I had to take her to get Ruqya done. Mm -hmm. And I was, I remember being scared. Like, why, what is this? You know, why do you have to go through this process? I know Quran is healing, but what made you believe like there's an ain? Yeah. You know, and, and hearing that from the community, local shield, it's evil eye. You get worried. Who wants to give your mother an evil eye and how evil eye? And although evil eye is haq, obviously, as I get older, you understand. But at that time, you get so scared when it's your mother. Yeah. So being a mother... Myself and seeing my mom going through that was, um, that's the first shocking way for us to know, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Did, 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 she, ta- did she start to get better? She would was- get better for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And we were back to square one. And then she would get better if we go to another share. And then it's back to square one. Mm-hmm. And then some would say it's the environment. Once uh, you you got an evil eye, you got to change the environment. So she used to think, okay, going back to Abu Dhabi, I read Quran on myself and my family and my kids will help. But that didn't help. Mm-hmm. And then it just got worse and worse to a point where my mom felt like she felt alone in this process. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes she was explain to people and they're like, no, no, shaitan gets gonna, you know, seek refuge from the shaitan. There's nothing wrong. And she'd be like, no, but the sheikh mentioned that I have evil eye. And then when I tell you other, she went to almost every sheikh in the city. I took her to almost a lot of sheikh in the city. And sometimes some of the process of healing was one week. Sometimes it was one day, sometimes it was a few hours, sometimes it was a few months. But then it got to a point where my mom was like, you know, you don't understand. It's it's what the shiuch is saying, it's evil eye. And and then it's just we were going through one chapter of another chapter of my mom's life of seeing what we know now, depression, in different stage at that time. So when we finished the shiuch stage, it was now she would be at home and just lock herself in the room and in the be in the dark and doesn't want to eat and doesn't want to talk to anyone. Mind you, she's such a social person. So a lot of her friends will ask about her, where are you, Hannah? My mom's name is Hannah. Hannah, where have you been? Where is this? What's going on with your mom? To a point where she just felt like I got, she felt like she got paranoid from people. And then... When she comes back and she feels good and she's out of that stage of wave, she would dress so beautiful. Yes. The bukhur that smells from my mom, you can smell it from miles away. <laughs> she has always her abayas. Fridays was her favorite day because of Jama. Mm-hmm. We'll wake up early, take, um, you know, make sure everybody goes to school, iron our clothes, iron her clothes, her abaya. Make sure it's ironed, 
And then she makes sure she goes to the masjid with the purse matching. <laughs> My mom would wear heels. You she know, was the flyest <laughs> woman at Jamal. <laughs> I used to be like, oh, yeah, you're wearing heels. You're already tall. And everybody gets to see in the masjid with heels. It's, everybody's wearing boots here. <laughs> and she's like, I don't care. This is how I dress. And everyone who knows my mom, she carries herself so well. And she would come in and be like, Salam alaikum, everyone. And <laughs> unintentionally will be like the center of attention without her wanting to be the center of attention. Mm-hmm. And they'll smile and hug her and kiss her and do everything. And, you know, she's like, okay, okay, let's pray together. This is my, she was so proud introducing us. So proud. Aww. This is my daughter. This is my daughter. This is, you know, this is what she is. Like me, my my sister is always the quiet one at the back. And, yeah. you know, my mom would be like, this is my sister, Muna, and uh, my daughter, Muna, and this is my daughter, Emil. And, you know, Emil loves to help this. And if you need any help with anything, <laughs> I have Emil and Muna doing this. And I'm like, oh, you don't do that. <laughs> I don't want to help anyone. I just want to come and pray and leave. <laughs> She's offering her services. She's like, it's Jum'a. Yeah. It's khair. You got to help people. Like, she was always at the service of others mm. you know she was always helping others sometimes i wonder where i got that from <laughs> <laughs> and i realized uh, that i became a mini my mom honestly i actually mm. look like my mom mm. i am i became a copy like her a lot of people tell me you're a storyteller just like your mom when I tell you a story, sweetie, we're going to sit down. <laughs> You're not going to hear the end of the story. <laughs> I'll tell you every little detail you don't ask for, and that's who my mom was. Mm-hmm. And when she leaves the Jama, she would always leave with helping someone, no matter what. You need a house, a place to stay for? Come, we mm. have. You need this, you need a ride, you need this. And I used to be like, oh, yeah, we are in Canada. <laughs> Not everybody is safe here, you know. <laughs> you can't let everyone on the vehicle. She's in like, the vehicle. It's, it's the masjid, though. Yeah, and yeah. I was like, okay, yeah, you're right, okay. <laughs> so that, seeing she goes through that wave, and then my mom would disappear again for a few months. Mm. And then everyone would be like, the pressure... Where's your mom? Where's Holly? We don't hear of her. She doesn't answer call. Explaining that to others was also so exhausting. Oh, she's okay. She's okay. We became robotic to our answers. She's fine. Don't worry. She's doing good. And then we'd be like, Oh, yeah, get out. Oh, yeah, let's do this. Oh, you do that. She didn't understand the process and we didn't. And I wish we did at that time. Mm-hmm. And at times where we both would be like, you get so emotionally frustrated and sad to see your mother in that state. Mm-hmm. You know, you want well for your mom and you don't know what's happening. Oh, you go, oh the sheikh said this and we can get out of it and it can happen. And it's just, it, it, it's, it was too much. It was like, it was so sad. And when someone is very open and known and you just go away and disappear, it also that pressure where people will come over and ask. It was too much. And they would always ask me. Mm-hmm. And I had to deal with the answers. And you had to, and you, and I, I can imagine it's really scary to give answers you don't have. Because you're also worried. Yeah. You know, but you can't show that. I couldn't show it. I mean, I felt like I start getting calls where people would be like, you know, take care of Hoyo. Mm. And I'd be like, what does that mean? Well, I have all, no, she doesn't call us. She doesn't do, you know, this. Take care of her. 
And then it went to my mom sleeping throughout the day mm-hmm. and being up at nighttime. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes she would call some of her friends at nighttime and they were like, why are you calling at 2 a.m.? Mm-hmm. And for her, it was like, I would like to confine in you. But they couldn't understand. Yeah. They couldn't understand why she's calling us at 2 a.m. And for her, it's like, I've been sleeping all day, like kind of in the dark. And she couldn't articulate that because we have this thing where we keep our emotions. And I remember one call, one friend of my mom where she said, Javier, I really think your mom, we walletish, she's going crazy. That was the first shocking call I've ever got. I said, why would you think that? Because she's calling us at 2 a.m. and 3 a.m. And to hear that as a daughter and to hear someone say that about your mom, I never told this to my mother. And alhamdulillah, I've never mentioned that to my mom. Because can you imagine I tell my mom, Hoyo? You know the word hoya, how beautiful it is. Hoya means home. Hoya is comfort. Someone called me to say that you're crazy. And I never did that. And I never told my siblings. And I remember telling my my mom's friend, Javier, she's not. She's just so sad and she doesn't go out and she's home all day. And yeah, but Javier, why would she call 2 a.m.? I can never, wallahi, forget that. I said, I, I will make sure how will then maybe she can call someone else. So I used to redirect my mom sometimes at nighttime to call different people. And then she would she was so suspicious of me. Why? Did someone call you? I'm like, no. And she'll be up and energetic at nighttime, do laundry when people are tired. And and no one understood how the role depression plays in your body. But she was trying to hold it together. She was trying to be strong for us and smile and do her role as a mother, clean, cook, everything she used to do at nighttime. And for her, my mom, it was a sense of achievement because I'm doing something. But if I call my friend and she didn't answer, it's okay. I can call someone else. She never thought there would be a judgment back. And now I know otherwise she kept her depression to herself because of such judgment that she could receive, right? She was scared and she was alone in this process. When I talk about my mom right now, I always say to myself, in Islam, we cannot say if and should have. But I always tell myself, I don't want someone else going through what we went through, seeing their parents or their loved one in sadness, in dark room, isolated at times or waking up at different times and people viewed them different, not realizing that it was depression. You know, mm-hmm. I was telling myself what you went through, you had to go through it. And if it's not, if it wasn't for Qadr and Allah, I don't think as family we would stay strong. My mother went through the fear of evil eye, went through the fear a fear of hazard, went through the fear of losing her kids if she expressed herself to doctors, 
Because when we got to the stage of trying to help her, we told her, Hoyo, let's get help. Yeah. And she's like, no, I don't want to get help if I feel like I'm going to lose you guys. We're all over 18. Yeah. You're not going to lose anyone. But everyone has that fear when it comes to the mental health. Yeah. And it, as a newcomer, too, there's a lot of, like, fear that yeah. our parents came with. They, this whole the whole element of, like, kids being taken from their, their parents yes. because they weren't out of... That was a real threat Yes, that our parents dealt with when they came here. And it, it was it, happening. And it was happening at the time. Like, it was yeah. a real, actual, real threat. And it, to a threat that till today still exists. Yes. Yes. So I can imagine why she was still there, like still back there. You know? She was like, no way I can express my feelings so I can lose my kids. And we finally talked to her to get help. Despite everything we went through, we we're talking about nine years of struggle, nine years of up and down and nine years of not knowing what it was. When my sister finally got to my mom and asked her, let's get help. And we got her doctor. Sadly, you have to wait like six months. Ugh. So she had to wait for six months to get help. And when we finally got the help, the doctor just saw us for like two minutes. And this is when my sister was with my mom and my friend. I was at work and it was for two minutes only. My only mom, something you waited for six months. Can you imagine? It was two minutes. Diagnosis was so quick. My sister couldn't understand. So my mom had a breakdown in the hospital. She got so scared and had a breakdown. My friend was with my mom. My sister went back to the doctor and expressed, we waited for so long to get this help and treatment. My mom went through a lot to be here. The fear of a doctor in itself and, and to get the help she wanted, please give her some time and please see her. And he was so quick to shut her down. He just told her, this is what it was. And don't worry, come back in three months. What was the diagnosis that he gave her? He said it was depression. And we knew it was more than depression. We knew there was depression, but there was different thing that my mom was facing. Because she reached a stage where she was so scared mm. of everything and paranoid of everyone. So he gave her uh, the medication, and he said the medication is going to last for three months. So the medication finished, and she was just like, every time she goes through that stage of depression, Hoya would ask, um, why am I going through this? Am I alone? And I always immediately would say, no, you're not alone, Hoya. Is, is there some people who are sad like me? Yeah, there are people who are sad. There are people who can get out of the sadness and their life turn around. And subhanAllah, that one week my mom was with me, I remember um, we were getting gas. We were at the gas station getting gas and my mom was like, you know, she had some type of paranoia. She's like, that guy is looking at me. What's happening? And I'm like, who? That stranger? And she's like, yeah. I'm like, oh, you're nothing. I was comforting her. Not realizing also the medication finished, mm. right? Mm -hmm. And what I did was, um, she said, I want to go to my friend's house. And I was like, okay. I took her to her friend's house in the West. And I was like, okay, Hoyo, um, 
why don't you uh, go back home and let me know when you want to go back home. I'll pick you up. And she's like, no, no, you know what? I'm going to go back home later on and I'm going to get a ride and so on. Okay, I'll go out there. I will come and pick you up if you want. You can be with your friend. My brother calls me in the evening and says, you know, late night, where is, where is Hoyo? I'm like, what do you mean? She said she's coming back home and her friend was dropping her. He's like, no. She said she was sleeping over at her friend's house. What? My mom never sleeps over anywhere. Mm. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, she's sleeping over. This is not my mom's personality. This is not who we are. We, you know, so immediately I called all the numbers of friends she called from my phone. And I answered, one of the friends answered. And she's like, yeah, Hoy is here. I said, okay, I'm going to come and pick her up. I called my other friend. I'm like, come with me. I'll drive my mom's car back. She somehow got her car with my brother, dropped it off. I went there. And just before I knocked the door, there was my mom's first language is Arabic. Mm-hmm. Arabic. She speaks Arabic so beautiful. She articulates her emotions and everything so beautiful. So she knocked the door and she was like, just before I knocked the door, I hear her speaking to a sheikh. Mm. And he's like, Hannah, Allah loves you. And this is a test Allah has for you. And she said, I love Allah so much. I just want to know why am I going through this in Arabic? I feel like I'm, I'm my kids, I don't want to tell them any of this stuff. I don't want to harm my kids. Even in that state, she was worried. A mother will always worry about her kids. So I said to her, I was listening and my friend was like, I, I think they're watching, hearing TV because she doesn't know Arabic, right? I'm like, yeah. no, that's my mom. And I'm like, let me hear what she says. And she was crying. Sheikh, I want Allah to help me and Allah to cure me. This is one day before my mom committed suicide. This is one day before my mom took her life. And when I heard it at nighttime, I was there in the same building, Adar, at the same floor. And when I knocked the door, my mom immediately pushed me out of that unit. And I feel like she did it out of a protection. And I feel like she did it because I felt like she was going to commit suicide that night. You know? Mm-hmm. And for me, I had all this shockness of what I heard, sadness, and I don't want to harm my kids. This was April, April 3rd. And the next day, I went, I, ca- I remember calling my sister and my, my family and just saying, you know, stay with Hoyo. I didn't explain it to them what happened. I just said, please, guys, stay with her. And my brother was like to my sister, don't worry, I got it. I'll stay with her and so on. My mom went back to that unit, um, to that house in the West early in the morning, April 4th. I went back. My sister was at school. She had exams. And she went back, I think, home. Anigana, I was me. I was at work. Imagine I asked for an emergency meeting from work from my boss, my manager, and one of the board member to go from working full-time to part-time. And my meeting was at 3 o'clock. 
while I was at the meeting, I already decided I'm going to work part-time to support my mom. I got a call. And as I looked at the phone while I was at the meeting, I saw 50 missed calls. Immediately, I thought my dad passed away. Because why? He's in Middle East. He's the furthest. My heart skipped a beat. I was so scared. And I'm telling my managers, I'm like, I have 50 missed calls. Something happened. Not thinking anything happened to Hoyo. Then it was my uncle. I answered, I said, what's Hoya's name? He's panicking. What's Hoya's full name? What? Why? What is Hoya's full name? Please ask me to answer me. You know I don't drive. And you know I just came out of a heart attack. And I'm driving. I'm, he's panicking. I said, what happened to my mom before I give you her full, full name? He's like, please just give me a name. I'm like, Hannah Musa. He's like, she got into a car accident and hang up. What? I panicked. I'm calling. And just before I called my sister or anyone, I got a call. And the way the news was broken to me, till this day it affects me. I got a call from a man who was crying, who I don't know who he is till this day, who said, is it true your mom threw herself out of the balcony? at work immediately I fainted I just remember getting up and I was like what just happened no this is not true this is not true this is April 4th oh you was just with us well what just happened and I'm like and my manager calmed me down you know, I was working with Muslim organization and he called me now and he said, no, 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 calm down. I couldn't breathe. And you know, my role, the 14 year old role, immediately I said, my siblings, where are they? And he's like, calm down. We're going to go to the hospital. We went to a hospital. They said, she's not in this hospital. You need to go to another hospital. When we reached the hospital, I was the first one there with my manager. Remember, I got the call from uncle who said an accident. Another call who said your mom threw herself. And my manager saying it's not true. I was there with them. And I don't know what's happening other. And I'm just crying. And then all I did was pray and ask Allah. Somehow that guys who cried and said, is it true? Your mom threw herself out of the balcony. I felt like, could that be true? And then as I was there, the doctor came and said, I need to speak to whoever is in charge of this uh, this, uh, um, this patient. I said, it's me. He's like, if you're crying, I cannot share anything. Do you have anyone else? Do you have your dad? Do you have another sibling? I said, it's only me. He said, do you know what happened? No. He said, your mom committed suicide from a 12-story building. I said, you know, like, my mom, my mom, he said, yes, we need your signature. 
We need you to sign. We need to do surgeries. We don't have time for this. I sat down. I called one of my friends and I said, please, my sister and my siblings. Within half an hour, the hospital was so filled, the ICU department, with people. I'm still trying to process what's happening. I didn't see my mom. I didn't see my mom. I'm still processing. And all these people who were there, Hannah, we is Turtay. Hannah, we is Dishay. Hannah did this to herself. Hannah took her life. And I'm just sitting there hearing people in shock and shivering. My body went through shock at that. I called my brothers. I called one of my friends who works at that hospital. And I immediately called them, like, please come here. She she was a nurse. I'm like, I don't know. She, somehow everybody else blurred out except her, my siblings and her. You know, her name is Mona too. <laughs> and she immediately came and explained everything. And wallahi, I don't know what to say. We went through... I see you for two weeks, filled with people crying and shockness. What is a suicide in Somali community? I don't even know. I've never heard anybody outside of our community or anything, anyone who's close to us who took their own life. And then the doctor came and said, after 10 hours, he said, you're ready. Are you ready to see your mom? I'm thinking, I can, how can I see my mom? I'm sure she is doesn't look like the same. I said, of course I, I am. And when I went in, I was the first one to see my mom. You know the heart of a mother. Mother is so strong, mother. She heard my voice and she just, she's laying down. She has all these tubes. Her face still look beautiful. Alhamdulillah to Allah that we can remember her face being the same. You know, the rest of the body wasn't, but the face was. And somehow Allah didn't traumatize us during this process. And when I talked to her, I remember saying, Hoyo, everything is going to be okay. SubhanAllah. And she cried. She, her eyes are not open. Tears rolling down. And I said to her, Hoyo, the kids will be fine. That's what she needed to hear. And she cried more. While she's at that stage, she cried more. She couldn't open her eyes. I remember the doctor saying, what are you saying? I'm like, I'm talking to my mom. And wallahi, I got my peace at that night saying, please forgive me for not understanding what you went through, for being alone in this process, for going through all these people who judged you, for... Feeling lonely in society where 
Bree just wanted to be strong for you kids and wanted to go back to your family. You know, if for I asked her for forgiveness of her because they told me your mom is going to pass away tonight. And I said, oh, you're going to make it. I never said to her what they said. I said, you're going to make it. And especially my two younger brothers were her heart, right? I said, they're going to be, I will, I promise you, I'll take care of my Mahmoud and Hussein. And she just cried and cried. Then I see her trying to say something to me, which I didn't understand. And she was pointing to something like, like she couldn't move her hand, but she's just doing this with her face moving right and left. I'm like, do you want this? She'll say no. Then I said, would you like Quran? And she was shaking her head. Because my mom would read Surah Al-Baqarah and Al-Imran every single day. Every single day. Sometimes people think that when you're smiling or you're dressed with your heels and you have Bukhur miles away, maybe that person, sometimes people think like, oh my God, that person's so happy and so on. But she was the type that would always do her adkar and read Ayatul Ayat uh, Surah Al-Baqarah every single day in Al-Imran. When she said she wanted the Qur'an, we immediately got her the Qur'an and it was playing. And my siblings went. Then I remembered my dad, Adar, who is in Middle East, who has diabetes, who I had to make that phone call for. I remember telling my uncle, no one speaks to my sibling or my dad. I'm the only one who's going to explain what happens. I had to go to a room and I called my dad. Such a bubbly person. Hi, Apo. How are you? I'm in the ICU and my dad is asking me how I am. And he's asking me, how's everything? And I didn't know how to get myself together to speak to my dad. And he just said, well, but what's wrong with your voice? I said, Dad, are you outside? He said, yes. I said, Abba, can you go sit somewhere, please? Because he has diabetes. He said, why? Why? Tell me, Abba, is everything okay with you guys? I'm like, yeah. He's like, I'm outside buying. He was buying Bukhur for Hoyo and Azar. Atar. Because someone was coming to Canada and he was giving to them. I was like, I'm buying you guys Bukhur and Atar. I'm quickly... I said, Abu, can you please have a seat? Or call me when you get home. He's like, no, Abu, I'm going to sit down. I'm like, please call me when you get home. I want you to be safe. Do I need to lose both of my parents in one day? No. So he said, no. Talk to me, Abu. I said, Abu. Hoyo, I didn't know how to say committed suicide. And my dad speaks English. I said, Abel, Hoya's in the hospital. He said, why? I said, she's in the ICU. And they say she's going to pass away tonight. Immediately, my dad said, Hoya, Mahana, Mahana day. And I said, Abel, he said, what happened? I said, Abel, you committed suicide. And breaking bad news to my dad. (laughs) 
breaking that news to my dad. It was so hard. Who is in the market, in the in the mall, buying perfumes in the bakhur that his wife loves and his children likes, you know? So he's just like, he sat down when he said, Inna lillah wa raj'oon. Inna lillah hasbi Allah wa ni'mal wakil. I said, Abba, please, please, can you be safe? I called one of my uncles to make sure that my dad is safe. And alhamdulillah, my my uncle got to my dad. But our journey started with the ICU for two weeks. Our home now was at the hospital for two weeks. That night, they said my mom is going to pass away. But alhamdulillah, she didn't. I felt like Allah gave us some time with her. We didn't know it was going to be two weeks. But it was two weeks. And the journey at the hospital was one interesting journey. So I would take 12 hours shift. And my sister will do another 12 hours shift. And the people will come in between day and night. Every day we had minimum, minimum, I would say 80 to 100 people that would come and visit my mom. Wow, subhanAllah. It was to a point where the ICU department will be like, she knows so many people. Like, who's your mom in the community? And I remember at one point, my mom was not referred to her name anymore. She was referred to the bed number. Mm. And it was so sad. It was so sad hearing that. Like when you hear your mom is referring to bed 48. And when you want to call in and you want to see, okay, who would you like to visit bed 48? And it wasn't your mom's name anymore. That whole thing was very new to us. Being in the ICU for the first time, it's very new. Processing suicide at the hospital was new so a lot of people couldn't go to my sister as much they would wait till I come only because again the role that I played right with my family and they would ask me questions like was your mom crazy did your mom used to talk to herself did your mom actually talk to you about killing herself Did your mom really killed herself? And I'm just wondering, how could you talk to me? I'm her daughter. How could you say something like that? How could you mention and talk about my mom like that? And I got to realize that I have to step up for myself, honestly. And step away from the circle. When people used to come and visit, I used to just go sit next to my mom, who, by the way, after the first night went into coma. And she couldn't get out of that coma. So we'll just sit with her and comfort her and talk to her and in hopes that she can hear us. And every day they would say, she's not going to survive. She's not going to last. And then when you come to the waiting area and all these people, alhamdulillah, I'm not going to lie though, there was a lot of support. People who give us food because our Somali community were very good at that. Mm-hmm. There was big amount of support and help. 
But that's the day I realized we have a family, but it's it's not my mom. It's not my dad. It's not my upti. It's not my habiyar. It's not my first cousins. And it's that that was the moment when it hit us. The family we all had and was more than one who was playing more than one role was Hoya and today she needs us. And just looking at my siblings was really, really hard. We couldn't talk to each other. We were just supporting each other by emotions and being there. We couldn't talk to each other. One of my friend, when she heard what happened, flew from Qatar the next day, who treats my mom like her mother. And when my mom, she would sit there, she was reading Quran and Surah Al-Baqarah from my mom and, and was there with us. And then I remember in that process, just before she left, two days before my mom passed away, me and my sister were in the room. My other friend, Alhamdulillah, ever since she came, she comforted that Hiba, her name is Hiba. She's such a gift to us. She was mm. really playing her role and her name. Coming from Qatar in like 24 hours mm. and being there, she was such a gift for us. She would ease the situation at the waiting area for us. Mm. Would literally cut people who would be like, was your mom crazy? And be like, do we need to hear this right now? Wow. Do you really need this answer right now? Is it going to help you? She put a smile in our face. I don't know how. What does Hiba mean? Hiba means gift in Arabic. And she was truly a gift for us. Those days that she stayed, work only gave her, I believe, 10 days, something like that. And those 10 days she was with us, day and night at the hospital, literally talking to people, she, you don't, they don't need to hear this. Are you here to talk? This is not a place to talk. Let's mm. go somewhere else. Helping us to eat and comforting us. And it wasn't only Heba. Literally, my friends, other played a role like a family. They took sh day, night, and sh um, day, night shift and nighttime shift with me. My friends who would put their kids to bed only to come at night when you are left with your thoughts mm. and be there with me. Mm -hmm. And just, they they had no idea what to say to me. I had no idea what to say. But they knew Hoyo and they would be there with me. And that's when I realized Allah can't leave you alone in the situation. Allah left me with friends who are like family, who took care of my daughter, who were there for us. Obviously, my my daughter's dad was in the situation and he was helpful and her grandma. They played every role for my family. MashaAllah. And my sister can testify that, subhanAllah. If I needed anything in daytime or nighttime, they were there. And I'm like, my dad was like, is your other so-and-so is here? I'd be like, you are, but abo. I have Holland, I have Hamdi, I have Lul, I have, you know, I have Hiba, I have, you know, we have the triplets. We have friends who we call the triplets because they're Somali triplets, yeah. you know. Mashallah. And our name was just going on and I'm like, they're here supporting us day and night. And my dad was like, this is your family, Abu. Take care of them.
And she got out of the coma and me and my sister were looking at my mom and she got up out of nowhere and smiled. She got up. Out of nowhere, slightly. Slightly elevated. And had her eyes open for the first time in that whole process. And me and my sister were fighting for that smile. Oh, you can you see us? Yeah. And then she was smiling and she's like, no, she smiled at me. And I'm like, oh my God, me too. And we were at hope for those two weeks thinking that, inshallah, my mom is going to live. My mom is going to wake up. Every single day we had either social worker or therapist who would come to us and ask us, what do you guys plan to do if your mom get out of the situation? What plan do you have for her? So that gave us a hope that my mom is going to live and she's going to get out of the situation and we have to go through the procedure of rehab. Not rehab, sorry. It's rehab, right? Sorry. Yeah. Going through the procedure of rehab. And I had to ask them, how do I, how can I break the situation to my daughter and they said you have to tell her the truth i was hiding that from my daughter who was five years old at that time who is very very close to my mom when she got out of the coma we had hope when we saw her smile we even posted online saying we don't know what tomorrow holds but we know that today we can sleep with comfort because my mom got out of the coma for a few seconds and gave us a smile april 17 2017 the doctor told us the next 24 hours your mom is between life and death and they talked to my sister and I finished the 12 hour shift I was there I was home my sister called me and said you know you need to come back home so on April 19 I came back like 17 of course I came back the 18th, they told us your mom is going to pass away. My mom didn't pass away. But then that's exactly on the 18th. They literally emphasized any moment your whole is going to pass away. To hear your mom is going to die. From what plans can we have for her to go through rehab? Was a whole another ball game of emotions. None of us know what to plan for when that moment comes. And no one is ever prepared to lose a dead of a loved one. To be your mother and to hear that from doctors who said they did everything they can do. Unfortunately, she now got an infection in her stomach. So the suicide couldn't kill my mom right away. It had to be an infection out of the blood. Subhanallah. And we just sat down and they said to us, going through the scary procedure, if your mom passes away, do you want us to do CPR before we pronounce if she if she's dead? We said, do everything you can do. And we know we have to leave the rest to Allah. And she did mention, because her body is so fragile, we're worried if we do CPR, it might break some of her bones and we're like do what you can do to make her live we want our mother to be alive april 19 220 
a.m. Only through the machine system that's all the equipments that are attached to my mom. We just heard beep. Just a peep sound. My mom went from alive to death by just hearing that. Before that, just saying goodbye. And then we made sure no one sees my mom in that situation for the two weeks she was in. Because we had hopes she was going to get out. Like I mentioned, she loves to dress up. She was beautiful. She had a smile on her face. The last thing I need was people to remember my mom in such a vulnerable situation. And I know she wouldn't like it. So I used to tell people no one is going to see my mom except my siblings. You can come and pay your respect to us, no problem. But April 18 in the evening, I let everyone say goodbye. When the doctors told me let people say goodbye, I did. And the hardest goodbye was when my dear friend Ida, she was holding my daughter. She couldn't be there every day because she was taking care of Leanne at home, making her busy with, with her kids. I called her and I said, can you bring Leanne? She was with me at the hospital, was bringing Leanne, and she left and said, bring her back. And she knew from my voice she had to bring her back because it was a goodbye. And to hold my daughter, who was so close to her grandma, and she's like, oh, yo, ayeyo, what is she doing? Is she sleeping? I'm like, oh, yo, ayeyo, is not feeling well. But what is grandma doing? And she was just five years old. I want to kiss her. I'm like, give your grandma a kiss and a hug. Ayeyo, ho, yo. I couldn't tell her your grandma is going to die. I just said, give her a kiss and a hug, a tight hug. Okay, she kissed her and gave a tight hug. She always asked me, why is she here? I said, Ayo hurt herself. That's all I could explain. Ayo hurt herself. Your grandma hurt, you, hurt herself. Ida took her right away, took her home. I saw everyone saying goodbye. Couldn't process me and my sleeping. Couldn't process that she's going to leave us. And when that peep sound came and they took all the equipments out, the next chapter of our life started preparing for the janaza. How do we prepare for janaza? Where do we even start with the janaza? Who do we contact? Alhamdulillah, working with the community and contacting a brother who was working the janaza, he just came and took care of everything. Mm -hmm. And I felt like Seeing Hoya go through from the hospital and they tell us you have to go back home. Her body's, we can't release it to you. We're going to release it to the Janaza team, right? The barrier service and so on. And then coming to the masjid and pulling my mom out of the freezer. And then saying to us, the team of Ghusl is ready. Mm -hmm. And I said, Oh, me and my daughter, me and my sister are going to watch my mom's body. And they said, no, you guys are not going to do that. And I said, yes, we're going to do that. We're going to watch my mom's body. And they said, we saw the body. We're going to warn you. It's 
you guys are going to be very affected by this. And I said to them, if I was laying there, do you think my mom wouldn't perform the janazah ritual and ghusl and everything on me? She would, as much as it's painful. Me and my sister fought it. And now that wallahi, Allah gave us sakina, tranquility, when we washed my mom's body. We never thought the family who came from Abu Dhabi were going to bury a mother six feet under here in Toronto. We never thought that. And some kind of comfort came to us that truly, inna lillah wa inna ilayhi The janazah was beautiful. A lot of people came, made dua. It was painful. At the same time, it was... I, I couldn't explain. It was, I, I couldn't say it was goodbye. It was, inshallah, see you in the hereafter. See you in a better home. We came here with our mom. And ever since my mom passed away, I feel like we don't have a family. Ahoyo is a home. Ahoyo is a comfort. Ahoyo is everything, and my mom was the father, the mother, the grandfather, the, every role she played. And now that when she passed away, wallahi, we felt like we have no one in Canada. And I couldn't explain to you with any other feeling other the feelings of feeling like alone. And we're like... How were we living life like that before? It was only Hoyo, but Hoyo played so much role. And when she left, my own siblings couldn't go back to the house. Because where is, where is home? She's not there. Where is home? Home for us now, other is the graveyard. It's my mom's graveyard. That's where our Hoya is. And when your loved one is buried six feet under, subhanAllah. So, and then realizing that we're no longer going to hear Hoya's voice. We're no longer going to run back home to our mom and talk about our day and, and, and anything we want to do. Realizing that our visits are no longer weekend visits or calls from home sweet home calling. Because when my mom wanted to get hold of us, she would call us 20 times in a row <laughs> to get hold of us. And I'm like, I'm in class or I'm at work or it doesn't matter. That 20 call is going to come. Realizing there is no more of those missed calls. Realizing you're not going to hear I cooked this special meal for you today. And realizing everything, khalas, it's coming. This is the end for your mother. Your mother's dunya, this is the end. I remember when we had to pick my mom's purse and got her belonging and put away her belonging and her beautiful dinners, which filled two suitcases. And and just seeing her purse where she had her duas that she always loved. Husn al-Muslim, the orange one in Arabic. Oh, that's, that's, a, that's a Hoya's... Uh, <laughs> lots of Hoya have that one in their bag. <laughs> Strongest weapon they have, right? <laughs> Inshallah. 
going through that, reading that, and seeing the pictures and the du'as she had and some of the letters she had for us that she would always carry in all our pictures gave me this drive uh, other to do something for myself and others in the mm. community. Mm. So the first thing I did f- was to heal. Mm-hmm. And healing, I didn't understand how could you heal from suicide yeah. while I'm a mother too at the same time. And, and, and be there for my daughter. I was a single mother at that time. And I just didn't understand. I tried to go back to my day-to-day routine, which the first outing I went to was... We have a monthly book club mm-hmm. <laughs> and going to see my book club friends. I know they were so sad to see me, but they made sure to continue the obsession to go normal. I just wanted something to look normal back to, yeah. for me. What, at that time, I didn't know what normal was. Yeah, Normal for me was see people without them looking at you and be like, oh, Miss Keen, like poor yeah. her. She's the girl. Her mom went through this. Mm-hmm. So when I went through that outing and we're reading the book and I just start crying. Wait, which, which book is it? I don't remember. <laughs> but shout out to uh, the book club crew. You know who you are. <laughs> and just being with their company, that was my first outing. And they gave me a um, certificate, trees that they planted under my mom's name, Asadakacharya. Oh, that's incredible. And as soon as they gave me that, I just cried. I don't even remember. we. T- I don't think we talked about the book. <laughs> so I was the book club session. <laughs> you know, I was the session for that month. And, and you could just, share your grief. And, and like, they were yeah. so comforting. Yeah. And I felt not judged. I didn't felt scared. And I was like. Okay, and when they gave me the certificate under my mom's name, I told myself when I cried, I need to go through another process of healing. So I signed up for a grief counseling, which I could I didn't understand what it was. I went there only to see specifically it was suicide related. People who lost their son, their daughter, their mother, their father, their wife and husband, their kids through suicide and it wasn't Muslim based right and to see and hear that experience go through that um, it was six to eight weeks process and to week after week to hear people process and what they went through I felt like I wasn't alone Mm. I felt like there was a group of people who understood me that pain that you feel that roller coaster that you go through. Because people will see you with a smile and be like, oh, she's okay. She seems okay. I'm breaking down mm-hmm. from the inside. Mm-hmm. Our first Eid, imagine it was April. And then it was a month later, it was Ramadan when my mom passed away. That Ramadan, I don't even know how we went through it. So I told myself when I went through Ramadan and Eid without Hoyo, I need to, this grief counsel process is like what I really need. And to hear it's okay, you can go through that. And the, the guy who was doing the counselor at that session, he lost his sister to suicide. Hence why he does such sessions. And when he said he does it because it reminds him of his sister, it's his coping mechanism. And, wow. And he wants to give back to the community. I said, I want to be him one day. 
Mm-hmm. I'm going to go get certificates. Where? I have no idea. <laughs> I'm just going to Google mental health and I'm going to get certificates. And then there's one that said Imam mental health certificates. Imam mental imam. health. Yeah. Imam. Like imam. Imams only. Mental health certificate. Certificate. How'd you find that? I have no idea. I Googled it, Abad, and you I remember. Some, it's an Islamic faith-based mental yes, health. I was put, I was Googling mental health certificates because mm. I was like, you have the experience, get the knowledge also to help people. So, absolutely. Right? I could talk about personal experience, but girl, get some education of how to share such painful experience and talk to people. So... How did you apply for imam but not being an imam? That's the question. I have, <laughs> how did you get it? Let me tell you. How did was, you apply for that? I like, just put my name. I filled it up and I <laughs> sent it to my sister. I said, we're going here. Why is it only for imams? Mm, that's a good question. Right? And then I said, I get it. They need it. It's important. Because they want counsel- yeah, to be yeah. counselors and stuff. But why is it excluded only to them? And why is it on Facebook and open to everyone anyways? <laughs> right? I so I said, we're going to apply. And I saw a group of amazing women. Kashmala. I don't know if you know Kashmala Qasim. She's an amazing um, sister. She was there. I was like, are you getting that certificate? An amazing group of women that were there. And I said, I'm getting that certificate. We got there early. We sat in the front. Amazing. Khalil Center was part of it. They were doing this. The official Khalil Center from the States. Right? Yeah. So I'm like, this is amazing. I'm writing everything down. Uh-huh. I'm like, this is a training session. And I'm like, you guys are going to give me a certificate? They're like, yeah. And I'm like, although it's all... Based for the imams, I'm yeah. like, I am going to do this with the community. Subhanallah. Yes. You know? So I got that certificate. It gave me a boost. I'm like, I have to get another certificate. You were like, it, it yeah. started the train. You said, I'm riding this train. <laughs> I'm far. <laughs> now go, I'm going far. Yeah. I got, uh, my friend gave us another certificate, first aid mental health certificate. Mashallah. What to do in such immediate response when it comes to suicide and so on. I loved it. I got that certificate. Then I told myself, I need to apply for school. (laughs) Wow. And I was like, I need to go back to school. I was honestly thinking applying to different schools. But then I was like, I saw a program at UFT. I was like, I don't even think they're going to accept me. But why not? Because just for a reference, UFT is like the best school in Canada, yeah. it's considered what uh, what American Ivy League would be considered. Yeah. That was like that for us, for yes. those who are wondering. So she's like applying for the best university. University of Toronto. University of Toronto, which is the best. By the way, it's the university that created insulin. Yes. Yeah. Like, you know, they are the ones that founded insulin. So it's a big university. <laughs> big, big one. Shout out to UFT. Shout out to UFT. <laughs> so I was so scared. I applied and I got accepted. And I got him. I was like... So sad that Hoya wasn't here to see that. But at the same time, I was so scared to fail. So I didn't tell people that I was going so to So you secretly applied. You yeah. said, if I fail, nobody's going to know. Nobody's going to know. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody can see my L's. No I, I can just, I can take the rejection by myself. Yes, no one's going to say, I'm all from U of T who failed. Yeah, or who didn't get in. I didn't get in. So yeah. um, when I got in and I passed my first year. You applied and you got in. I got in. I finished my first year. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> this this was an intense. I quit my job. I said, I'm only doing school. 
I need to go back and do something for the community. I wow. need to educate myself. So I applied for equity studies. Oh, I love that program. Human Rights and Equity Studies. Shout out. Yes. I love that. That's a program I also like uh, was doing when I went to U of T. Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. They even changed it now to Critical in yeah. Solidarity and wow. Equity Studies. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'm going to do that. Um, and minor in Women and Gender Studies and Mental Health and Psychology. Wow. I said, get that women's right. Get to your equity ride. Get the mental health. We love to see it. Subhanallah. (laughs) So you you took basically a really difficult, most difficult moment of your life. Yeah. And you said, how do I take something and I somehow flip it and make it to someone and change it, change it, change it for your not just yourself, for people around you. Yes. And I was so tired of people looking at me and be like, oh, are you that girl? Are you that girl? Now I'm like, yes, I'm that girl. I'm also a counselor. I'm also also all these things. And I am that girl who will own her mother's story. You're not going to put an end to my mom's name by saying, Hannah, the one who took her life. She was more than that. She was a mother. She was a daughter. She was a friend. She was a wife, you know, and she was an inspiring person. I I wanted to own my mom's story. When you take a charge of the story, you own it. The narrative, especially. It's yours. So I didn't want my mother narrative and her name to just be end with the lady who took her life away. Mm-hmm. I was like, nope, your daughter is going to put your name up. You're... Kids will put your name up. And my siblings became my source of support, right? Mashallah. Like my sister would support me for taking my daughter to school. And 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 my brother is being there. And alhamdulillah, like we became so close, right? And I was like, oh, I'm graduating this April. <laughs> <laughs> Can we hear that one more time? Can we hear that I one more time? A um, mom, you know, a person that went through such difficulty yeah. is now graduating from the best university in Canada and one of the top with universities honors. worldwide with honors. Yeah. And hu- and well, obviously human rights equities, but in, you know, equity studies, equity yes, studies with women yeah. genders, with women, minor women gender studies, and yes. mental health and psychology. Yes. Look at. Yeah. Could you have ever imagined? No. That this is how and where you would be. No, I uh, never thought. Honestly, today. I never thought when uh, we went through this experience that I would be in this position in life, right? I never mm-hmm. thought. I also got married. <laughs> wow. Let me tell you how my husband is literally my mom's da'a for me to the T. And mm-hmm. wallahi, sometimes when I look at him, this is why the importance of a mother's da'a. Even when they're gone, their dua is still with you. Subhanallah, you what, see it. You see it coming to life. What your mom makes dua for you and your parents, it's so powerful. You don't know when else Allah is going to accept it. Like my mom made dua. I always tell my husband, you are to the T what my mom prayed for me. Allah and you came at a perfect time in my life. And, and to have... My son that I gave birth to and still be in school and not yeah. take time off and be pregnant and, and have that support from my husband, may Allah reward him. I couldn't have done it without him, honestly, Ameen. and my family. And then I was telling him, you see, this is Hoya's daha. She always used to say, may, she always used to say, may you go back to school, may mm. you graduate, may you have an amazing husband. Me, you help always people, mm-hmm. you know. Subhanallah, and and like what Allah has planned in the way that you're gonna help people. Yeah, 
Wow, and, and, and I really want to help people through counseling. I shared my mom's story to give people hope that mental illness, the illness shouldn't define a person. No, you're more than that. To help that person who is locking themselves in that room, the darkness, that you're not alone. And that if you feel alone, we as a community, honestly, need to do better. Need to do better. Stop judging. Stop putting people down. Stop looking at people and be like, you know, the stigma around mental health, we need to stop. Shame. We don't put, when someone breaks their leg, Allah, mm. if you broke your leg today, Allah, I hope you don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would never blame you and be like, oh, Allah, the one who broke a leg, or this is who Allah is. Or mm-hmm. if you, if I got a cancer, people sympathize with you because yeah. they see it physically. Yeah. And because they don't see mental illness physically, people like judge people and look down yeah. on them. Yeah. And we need to stop doing that. Like they can help it. Yeah. Like they, it's like they cause it themselves. Yes. That's his presumption, like, yeah. oh, you did this yourself, or or you were you're not a good Muslim. Fear you know? Allah. Fear yes. Fear Your Allah. iman is weak. Your iman is weak. You know how much time we heard that? And my mom would say, that's why she was telling that Sheikh, I love Allah. Yeah. I pray. I read the Quran. That we cannot tell people that your iman is weak. Spiritual, it's one thing. But we cannot people put people down for their illness and say it's because of you, it's because of your iman you're going through Do that. This. Subhanallah. We cannot label people, you know. So that whole labeling and 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 and, and calling them the name calling and everything, the stigma, the shame, and everything, isolation and fear needs to stop. It I, needs to stop. We're one ummah. Absolutely. I have a question for you. Yes. How do you start the conversation with a family member who you might think is going through depression? Honestly, sit down and ask them how they're doing and just listen to them. How are you? How's everything? Not directly. Are you okay? Is this fine? Just be there sometimes. Sometimes they don't want you to talk. Be there physically. Hmm. Just be there next to them. Let's watch this together. Do you want to do this? Talk about what they want to talk about. Be there as a support, not in a way you want, but in a way they want you to be there as a support. And everybody is different. Mm-hmm. And just honestly, sincerely, how are you doing? And listen. Absolutely. You know, the story like reminds me of like, even when I think of my parents, you know, they go through so many things. I forget that they're human. Yeah. You know, I forget that they're human. I think of them to be invincible. They can't possibly yeah. feel sad. And and, and, and and I think there's also a level of shame they carry too because I am a parent, you know, yeah. and I, my kids shouldn't see that side of me and they shouldn't know. Yeah. And, but then we see that something is wrong and, and suddenly we're scared to, Tell them, ask if they need help, and yeah. can and even as a child, like, can you help them? Yeah, you know, how do you help them? How do you help your mom? Yeah, you know, your mom has always been the one to help you. Your dad has always superhero. been the one to help you. Yeah, there's, <laughs> you know, and now you're asking. Now you're like, now you got to be a superhero. And we're at that age, I love, where right now my dad is, you know, alhamdulillah, is alive, and how, you know, we're trying to help him, and you're going through that other stage of your life, right? Now you are the help for your parents that they need at this age. And when you see your parents at that stage, you, alhamdulillah, it's a great blessing to have a parents 
who you're going with and who is still alive. And it's a blessing. And like you said, they're human. Mm-hmm. Yes, they're superheroes. Even superheroes are human. Mm-hmm. Right? They still, yeah, they still have feelings and emotions. Absolutely. The best human that walked in this earth is the Prophet And look what he went through and all the hardship. Yeah. For Allah to show us that even the Prophet is still a human. And sometimes that's what I do. Other, I connect people to Prophet and Surah Al-Duha. Oh, I love Surah Al-Duha. Why? Tell yes. us like the the power of Surah Al-Duha. Why? Why are you so super connected with that? I love that surah. surah. It's very short Surah Al-Duha, mm-hmm. and when Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, um, it came down at a time where the revelation stopped. You know, calling the Prophet Sallam and Majnoon, Sahir, you know, magician and all that stuff. They're calling him a lot of names. And to hear the surah, right? When Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala starts with Surah Al Duha, Duha, and by the day, you know, and the night when it's covered, to hear that part, your Lord has not forsaken you. you, nor has He forgotten you. You're gonna make me cry. <laughs> I always connected with Surah Al-Duha. I had to learn the tafsir and thanks to Sister Tami and Al Huda for teaching us that detail. That your Lord has not forgotten you, and your Lord has not abandoned you. And to connect that surah with someone who's going through depression, the world can call you crazy. The world can isolate you. But Allah will not. And then Allah reminds the Prophet, وَلَلْآخِرَةُ خَيْرٌ لَكَ مِنَ الْأُولَى Right? That the hereafter is better for you from this life, eventually. This first life. And I, I told my, I remember reading this surah to Hoyo, and she knew Arabic and just going through that tafsir with her, it was so beautiful. And for me, I take that, my favorite surah, I take the small surah as a reminder, Prophet Sallam did go through depression too. He went through Amal Huzun, it's called, right? It's part of it, yeah. if I'm right. Yeah. And why would Allah send a prophet as a human to remind us that even the best mankind on this earth feel sad. will feel sad? Who are we as human when people feel down and sad to label them and put them down? SubhanAllah. SubhanAllah. It's, it's, it's actually incredible to think about. Um, but it's so empowering, so uplifting. It's so uplifting to... To remember that Allah has not forgotten us ever, yeah. even when we feel forgotten. Even when you feel, you know, I even think about Yusuf Ali Salam when he was in was in confinement, and you can imagine when you're in a place like that, you feel forgotten. Yeah, right. Yeah, to some degree, he was, you know, yeah. and Allah didn't. Yeah, you know, and it's even more evident when you finish the story. Yeah. You know how much Allah had planned for him, how much He had in store for him. Subhanallah. So, Yusuf's story is actually in, in um, beautiful. It's the most beautiful story, and it has incredible gems in there. If those are like really focused on learning it, yeah. But you know, I just think of Yusuf, and 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 then how his story played out. I'm just like, wow, 
Like Allah had never forgotten him. It was it was it couldn't it was impossible. He, he was falling along the entire time. Allah was so precise of when relief would come and when things would change yeah. and how he would make sure that Yusuf was okay. Yes. And it's just it's just it's important for us to look at these examples and these moments and these stories and reflect and say I, when we feel sad yes. and when we feel alone like you know is, is it just you 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 might be sad right now. You might be depressed right now. You might be grieving right now. And it feels super alienating and alone. Yeah. And it doesn't feel like the world is in color. Yeah. And you're trying to not let your friends know and scare your, you know, family members off with yeah. the grief and sadness that you feel. Um, but to know that, you know, Allah knows. Allah knows. Allah knows to the depths, you know, because he's closer to us than I, than our jugular vein. So he knows the absolute pain that you feel and the alienation that you feel. It is reassuring to know he's closer, you know, to us. And to and to know that he has not forgotten. Never lose and it, hope. And that there's an idea of I haven't forgotten because I, I'm I'm thinking of you. Yes. And I know and I'm standing with you and I'm there. Yeah. You know, and um it's such a beautiful reminder. So I, I wanna segue to this. What 99 name of Allah do you feel relates to your story most? Ar-Rahman. Ar-Rahman was the most merciful throughout this whole situation. Allah has showed us mercy over and over again in the situation of how he can be merciful. Seeing everything that we went through her life, being in Abu Dhabi was a merciful thing. Being with her family, coming here also was merciful. Going through my mom's stage of life and everything she went through, and just especially the help we got at the hospital. The two weeks help of not having a family member and having friends who are merciful. And you see Allah's mercy sending his mercy on us through different avenue mm. and just the barrier of <clears throat> bearing your own mother and just going through that process differently of healing there is no way I could make it without the most merciful and throughout when I was going to my mom's janazah somehow Surat Rahman stuck to me I don't know why I kept listening to Surat Rahman over and over again and I kept crying just by being reminded which of the favors of Allah could you deny. And being reminded between Surah Al-Rahman and Surah Al-Duha, which always connects to your Lord didn't forget you, forsaken you, versus with most merciful. That name of Allah, Wallahi, I kept saying, Ya Rahman, you had mercy on us. Continue to have the mercy of us. Help us and continue. To be that source and guide for us. So I connected with that name so well personally. And that's the name that helped me, Aniga, to personally stick through and live. And it's only through Allah's mercy that I was able to get up the next day. Absolutely. And 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 be there as a role as a mother. Yeah. From even, my five year old. Absolutely. Even going to school. Giving the istiqama and the tawfiq to, to go to school and Can finish you imagine being I, a mom and having a newborn. Allah's, you know, it's His mercy that we we get to do all these things and 
feel accomplished and go to bed okay about and ourselves. Wake up, yeah. yes. And you know, we used to go to bed sad and when, but it was through Allah's mercy. I can wake up and deal with the day. Deal with the day was Allah's mercy. Get up and, and face people who would say to you, are you that girl that your mom took her life away? And you'll be like, yes, I am. And her name is Suhana. Oh, it was more than that. See the person, not the illness. <laughs> wow, what a beautiful way to end an episode. See the person, not the illness. SubhanAllah, it's, going, it's always going to remain resonate with me. Um, I'm extremely touched by your story. Amel, I don't even know what to say. Um, and I'm going to hold the memory of your mother. The one mem- the memory that you're sharing about her smiling and the bukud and you know, that version of her. And I'm going to think of her often and make dua for her. And to all my listeners, um, please keep Hoya Henna, Havriya Henna, Auntie Henna in your du'as. Keep her in your du'as. May Allah SWT grant her the highest level of Jannah. The highest level. A'la. May Allah SWT reunite you all with her. Amen. May the first day you get in, she greets you. Amen. With all your and her loved ones. Amen. And that you guys can talk about. All the times, the difficult moments, you can be relieved. Because, you know, now on day four, it's is happiness and peace and tranquility. Yes. May Allah make that a reality for Ameen. you guys. Ameen. May Allah bless you guys. Truly, you guys are actually heroes, huge heroes, that you were able to take a, the most difficult strategy, a difficult tragedy, and you made it out of good. And you, you focused on Allah, and you did this for Allah's sake. And ask Allah to raise your ranks for it, you know, and... <laughs> Um, and I really believe that's the case here, you know? Yeah. And Allah has planned the huge plans for you guys. Yeah. And yeah, and I love you guys for the sake of Allah. So Jazakallah for sharing your story with Thank us. Thank you, Allah, for having us. Your loving memory lasts forever, inshallah. I mean, Thank you. Assalamu alaikum. Thanks. <laughs> Can I hug you? Yeah. Oh my God, Jonathan, I hope he's doing well. <laughs> Is he okay? <laughs> okay, perfect. Arthuri is so amazing. I wish you can recite <laughs> Surah Al-Duha. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> Wallahi. I'm, I'm, I'm very, very, very shy. You know, like, I, I never I never read out loud, ever. I don't think even people know. That, like, I, really? I, I'm so uncomfortable with it. And it's just, just the comfort you gave me in Salah with your voice. And sometimes Allah gives voice to specific individuals. Not so, I'm all requested for me to recite Surah Duha. Now, I was very shy and very against it because I guess I'm very uncomfortable with reciting out loud. I don't know. But because Amal asked me and because of who she is, I decided to do it. A'udhu billahi minash shaytanir rajeem. Bismillahir rahmanir rahim. Wadduha. Wallayli idha saja. ما ودعك ربك وما قنا ولا الآخرة خير لك من الأولى ولا سوف يعطيك ربك فترضى ألم يجدك يتيم فأوى ووجدك ضالا فهدى وَوَجَدَكَ عَائِلًا فَأَغْنَى فَأَمَّا الْيَتِيمَ فَلَا تَغْهَرْ 
وَأَمَّا السَّائِلَ فَلَا تَنْهَرُ وَأَمَّا بِنِعْمَةِ رَبِّكَ فَحَدِّثِ By the morning sunlight and the night when it falls still, your Lord, O Prophet, has not abandoned you, nor has he become hateful of you. The next life is certainly far better for you than this one, and surely your Lord will give so much to you that you'll be pleased. Did he not find you as an orphan and then sheltered you? Did he not find you unguided and then guided you? And did he not find you needy and then satisfied your needs? So do not oppress the orphan, nor repulse the beggar, and proclaim the blessings of your Lord. This episode was brought to you by Beautiful Light Studios, recorded at MA Studios Toronto. As I love to give a shout out, because you already know it's Toronto behavior to give shout outs, I love to give a shout out to our producer and editor, Munashik Omar. Thank you for this episode. I'd love to give a shout out to our recording engineer, Jonathan Lilo, our podcast intern, Nima Harun, our graphic designer, Sima, a.k.a. Wasima Farah, our project manager, Yasmin Mahmoud, and our marketing extraordinaire, Sosan Abdullahi. If this podcast gave you any value, we're leaving it up to you. Donate however much you feel like it gave to you. We have a big team this year who's put in so many hours to bring the show to life. And if you can't give, no problem. Give us some dua. I'll see you guys next week, okay? Because I'll be back. I'm, I'm, I'm healthy, okay, guys? I'm not going to be anymore. I'll see you guys next week in your ears, in your speakers, telling you what? Telling you a good story. <laughs>